In 2005, Chicago's O'Hare International Airport drew up plans to expand several of its inefficient runways. O'Hare is owned by the city of Chicago and operated by the Chicago Department of Aviation. Taxpayers do not fund O'Hare. Rather, the airport sustains itself via private airlines paying rent, customers paying various fees, etc. So, when O'Hare drew up expansion plans in 2005, both private airline companies and consumers were stunned to find out that the expansion was directly over St. Johannes Cemetery, a site of internment established in 1849. While the airline companies had to shoulder the financial cost, families in the area shouldered the emotional cost of having 1,200 people exhumed and relocated by the city of Chicago. I'm Christian Borky, and this is Busted Business Bureau. Hey, everybody. This is Busted Business Bureau. I, again, I'm Christian Borky. This podcast is produced by the Lincoln Lodge, a nonprofit comedy theater in Chicago, Illinois. If you like this podcast, you can help me make more of it by throwing a couple bucks my way at patreon.com slash bustedbizbureau. If you like the Lincoln Lodge, you can donate to it at thelincolnlodge.com slash donation. It's not donate for whatever reason I found out. You can also watch this podcast on youtube.com slash the Lincoln Lodge. Today's guest is a longtime friend, longtime listener, first time caller, John Oppenheimer. Hi. I was going to make the longtime listener, first time caller joke. <laughs> I've been waiting all week to make that joke. God damn it. Do you, hey, you can make it right now. I'll hey, it's like me, it. John. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> John, you know that scene in Wally where the captain, who's been born on a spaceship that's been um, abroad from Earth for 700 years, he asks his computer, like, what is dirt? And then he keeps asking the computer different questions, like, mm-hmm. what's a hoedown or what's pizza or what's plants? And then he's just, like, baffled. That was me researching this episode. Um, <laughs> for someone who's been on airplanes my entire life, I had absolutely no interest or any idea of the history. Um, so unfortunately, this episode is going to be so fucking dense. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is actually about Southwest Airlines. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Circling back to that story that I started with, though, which I don't it is, has nothing to do with Southwest, but I found it. And I was like, I'm not not saying this on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make a TikTok about it too. <laughs> um, <laughs> the company that Chicago hired to like trace and track relatives to like relocate the bodies, it's called Louis Berger Group, and it's an engineering firm that I guess has like a cemetery relocation firm in it. Um, the company also does private military contracting and has been implicated in three international scandals, including defrauding the U.S. government, committing bribery in Kuwait, Indonesia, India, and Vietnam. Um, and several other um, international scandals. But more importantly, as a consequence of the city's relocation plans, both consumers and airlines alike sued the city of Chicago because they were like, no. The case made it to the Illinois Illinois Supreme Court, which decided that, yes, actually, Chicago does have the right to move these people (laughs) because of, like, long-standing public land... I don't know, belonging to the fucking government. They can actually, in fact, do that. The project was completed around 2013. And I want to read you, like, a quote from a news article. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Yeah. Quote, Clifford Sell is among those who feel steamrolled by a city determined to bulldoze his loved one's graves. Quote, they should be there until the day of resurrection, he said. (laughs) Asked if all will be okay now that his family members have been moved to Eden Memorial, Sell shrugged. It has to be, he said. Let their souls rest in peace. You know, what can we do? (laughs) I know this is an episode about Southwest Airlines, but again, like, I think this is, like, this anecdote doesn't really have to do with it, but it's a near-perfect encapsulation of my feelings about the episode. Mm. Mostly, like, who's in charge of what here? Yeah. Um, How much power does the government have over air travel? Why or why not? And who and why is paying for what? You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. 
So these questions turn out to be more difficult to answer than anticipated. I'm guessing this is going to be, I'm guessing, no, I wrote this before <laughs> I knew that it was going to be a dense episode. It's going to be a dense episode. Mm. Did you take your Adderall? Have you had enough alcohol? I took my Adderall. I'm sipping on a dirty Shirley. I feel good. <laughs> I'm like deadlock focused on you right now. Really? <laughs> like tunnel vision of just your face telling me airline facts. <laughs> Do you want to tell me anything? Like, what is your knowledge level going in of, like, how airlines work, government, airline relations, et cetera? I don't know a lot about, like, the inner workings of airline companies. I asked you to write this episode because I was simply just having a bad day with airlines. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, they need to get theirs. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They need to get their licking on Busted Business Bureau. (laughs) So... Okay, do you generally have positive feelings about airlines? What is your, um, what's your emotional state going in? I mean, I don't have positive feelings towards, like, airline companies. I don't have positive feelings towards, like, companies in general. I like to fly. I think flying is fun. Okay. I like being in the air. I like, uh... Have you generally had good customer experiences? It depends on the airline, but yeah. Yeah. I would say I've never had, like, a disastrous airline experience. Of course, I am, um... Some people have, some people haven't, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I've never had, though, there's always, like, something on Twitter of, like, a person freaking out on a flight, and I've never been on one of those flights, because I don't Mm -hmm. think I'm special enough. (laughs) Like, I'm not the main character, so I've never been on one of those flights. I've always wanted to be on one of those flights. Right, because I'm like, what would I do? I'd be like like Mark Wahlberg, where he was like, I would have stopped (laughs) (laughs) 9-11. Like, I would have, I don't know what I would do. I would have watched that. (laughs) I would have watched that person freak out. (laughs) Man, I would have been so sitting there. I would applaud for them. Aw, that is so nice of you. (laughs) So here's the anecdote I should have started the podcast with, but I nixed it for the cemetery thing because the cemetery thing was really interesting. Anyways, the 2022 Southwest Airlines incident. I'm sure you all remember this, but in case I have listeners who forgot about it or are listening years from now, God willing, here's a short recap. December of 2022, there was a major winter storm in the days before Christmas. Between, like, December 21st and December 31st, 2022, Southwest Airlines canceled 60% of its flights. Their general cancellation rate that year was only 2.4%, which actually is pretty high for an airline. Mm. But 60% of flights were canceled, and this was, like, a fucking national crisis. Well, there were a few days during that 10-day time frame that, like, all flights had been delayed on any airline. It was maybe, like, two days of the actual winter storm preventing people from taking off and landing. The rest of those 10 days was because of a total collapse in Southwest Airlines scheduling infrastructure. Consequently, other airlines hiked up any available seat tickets prices at an astonishing rate. I'm talking like thousands of dollars to get unstranded from wherever you are. Southwest passengers missed funerals, had exorbitant dog kenneling fees. They missed work. They slept on floors of airports, oftentimes had a lengthy and difficult process to get their tickets reimbursed, if at all. And here's my thing. Every single airline has had some sort of major national delay post-2020. All the airlines aren't staffed properly. They have razor-thin profit margins to start with, we'll discuss. All of them have basically the same external factors that Southwest did, but none of them failed as spectacularly in this winter storm. Mm. Why? And why is our society built in such a way where both... um, Where... Wait, what did I write? Oh, where we both identify public transportation as a public utility in every form except for flight. I don't know why I wrote the word both. What is this sentence? Was I drunk when I wrote this? Where both identify public transportation as a public utility in many forms except flight. That's dumb. I need to start. Now's the time I want to announce that I made a Busted Business Bureau bingo board. What? For my episode right now. I think you just filled in like two squares. <laughs> what are the squares? Do well, I, I can't to- tell you because then you maybe won't do that. Well, what are the squares that you just filled in? Oh, uh, why did I write that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, That's the only one so far. That was the only. I guess there was another one that didn't make it on this iteration of the board because okay. I tried to, you know, make enough to make different boards. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, you God. did already confirm that you're not hungover, which was one. So I can't okay. cross that one out. Now. I am not hungover. <laughs> I'm. Too, you know what? I, I never talk about this on the podcast. Actually, so this is a very vulnerable moment for me. But I'm on my period, and I have just awful periods. I'm in so much pain. But usually, I don't know why. Like Sundays and Mondays, I just am not on my cycle usually. But I got an IUD, and now everything's fucked up. Mm. And like now, I'm just experiencing the worst that my uterus has to offer. So you're basically hungover. So I, I can't cross it off. I would actually cross it off because <laughs> I probably would have drank yesterday because it's it was fucking Super Bowl Sunday. Right. If I wasn't so like sick from my period. Okay. I tried go- drinking like a little glass of wine, and it was terrible. And I was like, I'm not doing this. Like, question tells a drinking story. That's on the list too. <laughs> You know what? There's probably more coming. Okay. So how did we get to this point? Here's a short but interesting plane history. Here's my hot take. Planes are an abomination against the Lord. (laughs) And that's why we will never have any successful flight infrastructure at all. We were meant to travel by land. I'll say it. I'll maintain that till I die. Do I still take flights? Yes. Do I always try to take the train instead? Absolutely. Mm. I'm sure aviation nerds are going to get mad at me for this like half-assed history, but um, I don't care, and it's not important to the story. The planes Wright brothers are coming for you. I know <laughs> their descendants. They hate me. Planes, as we know them today, started in the early 1900s. The U.S. was behind in plane technologies because we entered World War One late, and famously, nobody innovates anything unless it's for a war. Hmm. So. We're super late during the war. Innovations in plane technology, as many technologies have, can be credited almost 100% to the war effort. Like, bleak. Post-World War I, we're finding new and brave ways to, for example, deliver mail by air. Are you following so far? I said that so fast. Yeah, no, I got it. Okay. You're on Adderall. I don't know if the average (laughs) listener's on Adderall. I'm ahead of you, actually. Planes are getting more sophisticated, even without the direct pressure of war after World War I. This brings us to the 30s. I'm going to tell you, have you ever heard of the 1934 airmail scandal? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is so fucking dark. Honestly, like, I kind of have to give a little bit of a content warning here because this gets really dark. Okay. And the fact that it's called the airmail scandal or, like, airmail fiasco is an understatement. <laughs> sounds silly. It does. It sounds, like, ridiculous. Like, no one got their mail. <laughs> Which is a little true, but that's not it. Since the beginning of aviation, there's been this never-ending tension between the federal government and private business owners over who controls the skies. This may may sound like pedantic to explain, but when you pave roads, there's many ways to travel on those roads. You can walk, you could scooter, you can have a horse drag you, or... (laughs) I don't know why I said that. (laughs) Or you can, like, have a motorized vehicle. Hmm. When you get to the motorized vehicle stage, you need proper licensing. You need to build the car correctly, which is a lot of federal regulation. There are no roads in the sky, Hmm. which, again, I don't want to sound like I'm, like, being um, patronizing here, but this is, like, a, a fact I did not think about. Mm-hmm. So it is much harder to regulate transportation in the sky because there, that infrastructure just doesn't exist. You know what I mean? So um, when we get to the stage where we can deliver mail by air, it's pretty cool. Initially, it starts of just during the day, during good weather. But eventually, we get to a point where we're building like lighthouses and air traffic control towers where we can start delivering things at night and in dangerous weather conditions. So... By 1930, I have no idea what the impetus for this was, and I don't really care. The government said, okay, let's federally establish the routes that air mail travels and contracts since they're all, like, transcontinental now. Enough of this little, like, piecemeal contracts for little airlines. Hmm. 
because it'd be like we hire this airline to go from California to Utah and then like a different airline to go from Utah to Maine you know like it was just dumb mm-hmm. so again 1930 we're like plane technology is at a point where we can actually ask certain airlines to run the entire route transcontinentally like that technology exists Walter Folger Brown, then Postmaster General, referred to as like the dictator of the post office. Like he, he sounds a, cool. He sounds like a cool guy. Yeah, he's sweet. <laughs> he so the federal government's like we're going to award these contracts. He gets a couple people together and basically awards every single contract to like three companies, mm. <laughs> despite it being financially asinine to do so. Like there were just three companies that he really liked, and he was like, I think you guys can do it. One of which like wound up being United Airlines. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so as scandalous as this will be to say on Busted Business Bureau, he actually was probably right to do this as the old mail system was plagued with inefficiencies, having like those 27 smaller airlines carrying a bunch of different short routes. Air transport is so different than land where transfers are easier to do that like it kind of makes more sense to consolidate it in the sky. Is this making sense? Yeah. Okay. So that's not the scandal yet. In 1934, Congress investigated itself and found this collusion that he was like improperly awarding these contracts to these couple companies. And they said, OK, this is a scandal. No more private businesses doing mail. We're going to have the army do it. Mm. OK. Mm-hmm. So they deemed three the three airlines who received contracts. But that, oh shit. OK, I'm going to start this again. They deemed that the three airlines who received contracts have been the recipients of an illegal system orchestrated by the postmaster dictator. So. Several army officers testify before Congress that they are well prepared to take these routes. And mind you, we have not had a war since 1919, and we're Mm. in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. There are millions of pounds of mail that need to be shipped, mostly overnight. And this is also happening around January or February of 1934, so it is not ideal weather. The fiasco, as it were, comes next. Most of the pilots selected were junior pilots, most of whom logged absolutely no time in the modern planes under poor weather conditions. The planes being used were more or less akin to the passenger planes we know today, which I know aviation nerds are going to get mad at me for saying. But it's not like the war planes they were flying during World War I. It's more akin to what we have today, mm-hmm. more complicated planes. So it's more difficult to operate in any hoozles. The Army is so ill-prepared to carry these airmail routes and also, again, dead of winter. I didn't think I'd spend as much time researching this because I thought it was going to be really boring. Mm. But these kids in the Army die some of the most horrific deaths I have ever read about over the course of the three months that the Army had to do airmail. Delivering mail? Delivering mail. Obviously, it did not last very long because... In these, like, three months, 13 of these basically children died. They're all under the age of, like, 24. Wow. This is one of the things that I, like, only read on Wikipedia, but this is where Wikipedia nerds, like, really come out of their cage. And, like, <laughs> like this is the thing that they document extensively, and they have all these primary sources and blah, 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 blah. So the list of incidents and fatalities on Wikipedia is an unbelievable collection of really good documents that list out exactly what happened to each pilot. It's gruesome. Burning to death from malfunctioning engines. Freezing to death after crashing in sub-zero temperatures. Getting one's body torn to bits because of a parachute cord gone wrong. Crushed to death between a failed motor and the mail. It gets worse and worse the longer this goes on. Mind you, the public is well aware that these kids are dying and, like, it was a fiasco at the time. I don't think they're aware of how fucking gruesome it was. Yeah. Because, again, like, they're flying these planes that they're not, like, prepared to fly in a blizzard. Because it was also a really big blizzard at the time. Hmm. So... After this fiasco, the Roosevelt administration gave the routes back to our besties in the private airline biz with significant more provisions. Because before, it was kind of the wildcat era of, I don't know, private businesses doing whatever they want. Mm -hmm. So the Roosevelt, FDR, that Roosevelt, Mm. um, is like, first of all, manufacturers and airlines um, cannot be the same anymore. Like Boeing and United Airlines used to be the same company. Mm. 
So they're like, no more of that. Um, second, though, the economic through economic rules and regulations, I don't really understand, it becomes more financially viable to just run passenger routes instead of only mail routes. Whereas before running it, like mail routes was way more profitable, so no one really invested in passenger travel. Hmm. Um, after this fiasco, the government is like, we're going to make it way less incentivized to like run mail. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the rest of the 30s mark dogged regulation and restructuring of airlines, air travel, etc., for example, Congress passed the Civil Aeronautics Act and established the Federal Aviation Commission and the Civil Aeronautics Board. It doesn't matter if you remember those things. I promise you. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a like all of this regulation comes as a direct result of this scandal where a bunch of people died. Yeah. It's so weird how much blood like paves the road for any modern things we have today. Mm. So, so what are what are your thoughts so far? I'm going to pause to like take a mind break. I'm just thinking about how, like, first of all, how disappointing it must be to, like, join the army and you're put on male duty. <laughs> and then that's how you die. Mm -hmm. Like, damn, that worst possible scenario for joining the army, I feel like. Like, it's not even, like, cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it fucking blows. Yeah. And it's all because, like, these generals testified that, like, yeah, we're ready. And one of them said we can do this in 10 days. Like, we can prepare all our guys in damn. 10 days to do this. Um. It's fucking crazy. So. It's like what Santa does. <laughs> <laughs> and Santa isn't built overnight. I'll say that much. <laughs> He has all year to do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> so here's also a brief thing about why we also wanted airline regulation in the first place. Um, the thing about planes, again, is that there's no roads in the sky. Consequently, a lot of planes crashed right into each other in the early days of aviation. Oh I know it's not something that you think about. It was more than you'd think, right? Yeah. Um, so that is part of the reason why we also need like federal regulation on planes is because it is very difficult to keep track of them in the sky and you can't rely on just like private businesses all piecemealing it together. There has to be some centralized body to say where the planes are at all times. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? It should be God. It should be God. <laughs> I don't know why we haven't... We are defying God every time we fly a plane, <laughs> and we need his mighty hand to guide us on the roads every day, mm. not in the sky. We also needed to re federally regulate, like, pilot school, because in the 20s, there were a bunch of, like, show-offy pilots who would do barnstorming. Do you know what barnstorming is? No. They would go do these shows in rural areas where they would do, like, plane tricks and the more popular it got the more dangerous the plane tricks would be and so so many people died doing oh like fun plane shows and so the government was like maybe you need like like more licensure to be a pilot <laughs> i would go see that though that sounds really cool it sounds really that fucking sounds so fun cool. they don't do it anywhere anymore no <sighs> i know well maybe they do it somewhere but like not in the same way we did in the 20s yeah because it would it would be like a traveling circus it'd be yeah. like the planes are in town let's go see that <laughs> and it had to be way fun so even though several presidential administrations, Hoover and Roosevelt specifically, received a lot of flack for this airmail scandal, it still gave way to much stricter regulation of the airline industry, including the government set routes and fares for air travel until 1978. Did you know that? No. So right now we live in a system where, I mean, a spo spoiler alert for the rest of the podcast, we live in a, like a system now where like United gets to decide like, okay, we're going to fly Chicago to Dallas and it's going to cost like 200 bucks. It used to be that you had to get approval from the government to like even have that route in the first place and they would set the price. Damn. Why did we lose that? We'll definitely talk about it. I love spoiler alert for the present. <laughs> spoiler alert for life right now. <laughs> In case you haven't noticed, the government still does not do that. But I had no idea that yeah. that's how it used to be. 
which is um, kind of a slay. The government literally picked for, oh, that's exactly what I just said. I, like, I hate getting ahead of myself on the script, and I do all the time. From the birth of modern aviation, the government and the private industry have worked incredibly closely. That is, like, the takeaway that I want from this little section. Mm-hmm. Okay. 1944. God, we're still in the fucking 40s. That's how dense this episode is. Are you like, okay? Yeah. Because I knew this shit was going to be dense going in. No, I'm in it. Okay. (laughs) In it to win it. 1944. Here's another set of interesting questions that arise as air travel is expanding. How do we deal with cross-country flights? Are we allowed to fly over other countries? Can we land in other countries? Can we establish airports in other countries? Hmm. Which, again, like that's a spoiler alert for the present, but it's kind of fascinating, those technological questions at the time. Because yeah. I, I just take it as a given because I was born in that. Mm-hmm. But it's like even friendly countries or can you fly over enemy countries? Is that okay? Like, da, 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 da. So more of these questions are answered. Uh, at the intra or intergovernmental panel in Chicago in 1944. That's us. That's us. <laughs> Among these new rules is also the requirement for all pilots to have some understanding of English. As when you're flying over other countries, like their air traffic control can say like, hey, there's an emergency here. You need to land or you need to fuck off. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be a lingua franca. And that uh, they chose as English. Um, this rule becomes more important over time because there are accidents well after 1944 that result like directly because not everyone in this situation speaks the same language. Mm. Like a lot of people have died because of misunderstandings from the ground to the sky. Mm-hmm. So that's just a fun fact that has nothing to do with the airline business. Um, but yeah, also that whole thing had really nothing to do with Southwest. I just thought it was really interesting. Like it was interesting. watching these questions get answered over time. And so yeah. it was a intergovernmental panel in 1944 in Chicago. It is crazy just like when there's new technology and it's like, how do we have this? Right. <laughs> how do we control this in any way? <laughs> Look, we were not born to have people flying over other countries mm-hmm. and it's just fine. Like, it's just nuts that it flies in the face of all of human history that we could just do that now. Mm-hmm. So 1967, the founding of Southwest Airlines. Most of the major airlines today were founded well before Southwest, United, uh, Delta, that's like the oldest one, and what the fuck is the other one? American. Hmm. All of whom were founded again well before Southwest. Oh my God, I just burped. (laughs) I'm literally gonna throw up. Like my guts are made out of cement. It's crazy. I'm fine. It's fine. In the midst of this hyper-regulated, tight-knit industry, because again, the government regulations on the airline industry were meant to be in such a way that like, there are very few companies that can do airplanes, because they're so difficult to manage, they're so difficult to operate or whatever, that like, the government was like, okay, we don't really want this being an industry that anyone can break into. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. It's hard in the 60s, by the 60s, for any small airline to begin operations. That is until 1967, a couple crazy-ass dudes decide to form Southwest in the most Texan way possible. It's a Mm. Texas-based company. Of course. If you visit the Six Flags episode of this podcast, you can get basically the same story. Um, But it's kind of fun how you can draw a straight line between Southwest Airlines' founding and original success circa 1968 to its complete shit-eating in 2022. Mm. It's a straight line. It's so fun. And I didn't know any of this. So... The central premise of the origin of Southwest Airlines was, in fact, to evade federal regulations on the, f- the fares and the route setting. The entire operation would be built around Texas as a result. So if it's only intrastate, the federal government, I guess, doesn't have the authority to come in and like decide what your fares are or your routes. Hmm. A company in California did something similar to modest success. And if you're thinking, is that legal? 
The two major airlines operating out of Texas had the same question. <laughs> so while Southwest was incorporated in 1967, it didn't actually have a single flight until 1971 because it spent the first four years of its life battling Supreme Court decisions over its legality, brought on by the other airlines. So Texas. Having literally $148 in the bank and being $133,000 indebted to several businessmen slash friends who jumped out of the company, Southwest was built on yeehaws and prayers by 1971. And let's talk about their contentious business model. Contentious to the other airlines, that mm-hmm. is. Are you still following? Am I talking so fast? No, no. I just, that, that's crazy to, I don't, I don't ever really understand business in the first place, but like, I don't, to be a person who's like, I want to start a business where the whole thing is we just break all the rules that are in existence <laughs> and we're not even going to make money for the first four years we're just going to focus on figuring out how we can break the rules as best as possible right because they were convinced based on this other california company that they could eventually make money and it is also crazy to me how business works because they just convince other people that it's going to make money someday and yeah. they're like sure i'll throw a couple like tens of thousands of dollars your way to make this happen like that's crazy it is just crazy how just being besties with people really gets you so far in life. Mm. So, the main route through which Southwest could circumvent federal regulation was again to run flights intra-Texas. Their initial hub is out of Love Field, a fact I would not bother mentioning if it didn't have to do with everything later. Their stock ticket number when they go public is LUV, Love. Happy Valentine's Day tomorrow. Oh, happy Valentine's Day tomorrow. (laughs) This is the Valentine's Day episode. (laughs) Holy shit. This is one of the most important things I can impart onto you right now. Most airlines at the time, again, are very big companies, as we talked about, since they're closely regulated by the government, had won many post office contracts simply by being besties with the government. Like, they could cut their teeth on post office stuff, get bigger and bigger, and then, like, break into passenger travel. Mm. The goal of the industry itself was to prevent smaller competition, thereby keeping a quality unified industry. Consequently, most airlines develop a hub and spoke system of flights. Do you understand what that is? It's like you have one place you're kind of based out of and you like come back and forth to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hub and spoke. You know how United uh, has a lot of airplanes that like come out of Chicago, for example? It's Mm -hmm. because Chicago is a central hub, like the center of a wheel. United will make sure a lot of planes stop and land in Chicago, even if it means interrupting a direct flight. Some may ask, why? (laughs) Here's some of the benefits. If a captain, let's say, gets sick mid-flight, they'll land in Chicago where a bunch of other United pilots are hanging out getting ready for work. And since they all know Chicago's the hub, they probably have, like, pilots living around the area. So Mm. it's easy to get somebody to come in and fill in for that captain. They can also use bigger and less jets because most airports are large hubs. Let's say you have a plane from St. Louis coming to Chicago. You probably have a fair amount of people who want to go to Chicago suburbs, like two hours away, and people who came from St. Louis suburbs, like one to two hours away. Mm. So instead of running 12 tiny flights from like Clayton to Oak Park or Brentwood to Englewood, you just have your two large jets going from St. Louis to Chicago. Mm-hmm. This is... Uh, only for airlines, really, that have the resources to make this happen. Notably, many small starting airlines do not have the capital to just, like, have the hub-and-spoke system, as paying rent on a huge hub like O'Hare is ludicrously prohibitive. Like, wildly expensive. So, Southwest develops a point-to-point model. This is flying shit like Mentor to Crystal Lake. In the case of early Southwest Airlines, it is Love Field to Austin or Dallas to San Antonio and back. There might be some other ones as needed, um... But here's the benefits of the point-to-point model. Since it's smaller jets, it's a lot cheaper. Mm. This also affords the company the ability to run really short and like dumb flights, but a lot more of them, like Mm -hmm. back and forth. 
It's also a lot more convenient for people who want to go those specific destinations instead of having to travel like two hours to the airport and then two hours to the next place. Right. Can you anticipate any issues with the point-to-point model to start with? I don't care if you're right. I don't care if you have any opinions. But is there anything you can see on why this might be an issue? And it's okay if you don't. Well, I I mean, one, it'd be hard to fill a flight more often if it's, like, Mm -hmm. not going to a central or, like, big big of a location. Also, I'm like, if they're going interstate now, are they beholden to the government prices for fares? Or can they still make their own fares somehow? Oh, we're about to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the only two problems you had that you can foresee with the point-to-point model. I mean, there's definitely more, <laughs> well, but I'm not a pilot. You and Southwest executives are on the same page. Okay. Okay. That these are the issues that we can perhaps anticipate. They should hire me. <laughs> <laughs> I think they are hiring. <laughs> so returning to Southwest's original shtick. Southwest Airlines is one of the main factors towards more um, economy experiences on flights. Mm -hmm. Southwest is one of the first airlines to introduce a two-tiered fare system. You know how when you book a a plane, you can get on first class for a bunch of extra money or Mm -hmm. economy seating. So that's not what they start with, but they start with like, if you take a flight Monday through Friday, you can pay full price. If you take it at nights or weekends, you pay half price, Mm. right? Um, this is because most travelers at the time didn't fly over the weekend because it was mostly like business dudes who were flying like, you know, Monday or Friday. Notably, Southwest price at the time is $26 for a flight between Dallas and San Antonio. They were running eight of them per day to not much success at all. An average of sef- 17 customers per flight. Like you said, like not a lot of people on the flights. Mm-hmm. Braniff Airlines, a major airline at the time that you've never heard of because it ate shit in the 80s. Um, it was one of Southwest main haters uh, and sewers at the time. Nice. They introduced flights between Dallas and San Antonio for $13. Ooh. I know, half price. Lamar Muse, one of the founders of Southwest and famously a petty bitch, is fuming about this. He's so mad, he's writing so much copy about how much Braniff Airlines fucking sucks. And then what he and the company land on is the following. After brainstorming, they come up with this gamut. Southwest continued offering its $26 flights, but they marketed them as... Like, basically a $13 flight, including a $13 gift. In this case, the gift, (laughs) if you bought a $26 ticket on Southwest, you got a $13 bottle of scotch, which at the time is a fifth of scotch, um, or a leather ice bucket if you didn't drink. So you'd be, you start paying $26 for the flight, but you get a free bottle of whiskey, basically. And most business dudes were more than happy to bill their companies $26 and pocket the whiskey. Mm. <laughs> so Southwest flights jumped from an astonishing average of 17 to 75 passengers per flight. <laughs> like, Whoa. the 70s were fucking awesome. That's all I have to say about it. The whiskey thing is augmented by the sexy stewardesses. Mm-hmm. We need to discuss. <laughs> so... Um, here's the thing about planes in the early days, especially pre-1970s. Also, how are you feeling so far? I need to check in. I'm good. I'm thinking it must suck to be someone who doesn't drink, but like mm. is a businessman and you just like are accumulating all of these ice <laughs> <laughs> buckets, just like 20 ice buckets from your business trip. I mean, I feel like at that point, just like pay the $13 flight from Braniff Airlines. Like why, why bother taking Southwest? But it's the 70s. I doubt there's many sober businessmen out there. That's true. Like, uh, I don't. Men in the seventies, they're a different breed. Do you know? Do you have any concept of what twenty six dollars in the seventies is now? I could do a quick Google search. Okay, Um, I'm just curious. Twenty six dollars, nineteen seventy. Let's say two, compared to today. My computer says that'd be about one hundred and eighty four bucks today. Okay. Yeah. Um, But also, we'll talk about it. But like flights 
actually, no, I'm not going to say the thing I'm going to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so in the early 1970s, it was an incredible novelty to be able to fly anywhere. The seats were comfortable. The flight attendants catered to your every whim. You were treated like royalty on planes, and it was more like an experience. Mm-hmm. The essential experience was of luxury, not utility. Consequently, Southwest's original flights were all stewarded by sexy ladies in go-go boots and short shorts. Mm. Did you know this? Mm-hmm. You did? Yeah. Holy shit. Can you tell me? It's just, I mean, I knew that was like in like the Pan Am era of like flights. That was like the... Explain to me what Pan Am is. I Pan Am is. was like a really huge airline company in, I think, mostly in like the 50s. That was when they were at their peak, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and yeah, their whole thing was they had like those like really like neat uniforms for all the flight attendants and they were all like fun and flirty and sexy and (laughs) whatever. If there's one thing I feel on an airplane, it's I want to be horny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like that is the main thing that we've lost to time. I'm no longer horny on airplanes. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a travesty. I am, but for different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) It's just because you can't stop me. (laughs) (laughs) So, also, Southwest colors are orange. And so, like, the little cute uniforms and the go-go boots look like they're, like, the staff of Hooters (laughs) to me. Like, they're handing out cocktails on flights called Love Potions. Because remember, Love Field. Like, Mm -hmm. it's all very love-based. They're handing out, again, fifths of whiskey. You can still smoke on planes, too. Like, that shit is swanky. What a gift. Oh, also, like, the seats are cloth. You know what I mean? Like, they're not, like, that plastic shit we have today. Mm -hmm. What a gift to even smell an airplane from the time. Also, the leg room on those older flights. Oh, my God. The, the, that's why people used to have the Mile High Club, and it's it's also what they took from us. This is the future liberals want. Did people do the Mile High Club just in their seats? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Probably. It was the 70s. You could do anything. I guess when the flight attendants were dressed like that, like, yeah, you can <laughs> get away with anything. <laughs> so... This is uh, this is like a fun story, not much of a busted business bureau thing. But honestly, I'm adopting a hub and spoke approach to this episode. <laughs> so like, main hub is Southwest, but this is just like a fun story about airlines. So because of this like sexy marketing thing, Southwest Airlines becomes integral in our legal history of establishing bona fide occupational qualifications, like in the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Generally, the way we've established hiring practices, at least post-civil rights era, during Southwest's origins, is that you cannot disqualify someone for a job based on sex, race, religion, etc. However, there are some jobs where those factors are necessary in performing the work. If you're a Catholic school, you can require your headmaster to be a practicing Catholic, for example. Mm-hmm. We're allowed to have mandatory retirement ages for bus drivers because if they're too old, they don't do the job as well. Um, if you're casting a movie about Martin Luther King Jr., you're legally allowed to have the casting call say, like, we're only looking for black men. Right. And you must be this sexy to be a flight attendant. Exactly. So that's what Southwest is saying. Mm. They're towing the line here because the marketing is explicitly like the love airline. This is an airline that will turn you on. Fucking hubba hubba. (laughs) Yummy. The femininity and sexiness of its staff is, per Southwest's argument, crucial in its business operations. In 1981, a bunch of dudes got together and sued Southwest for unlawful hiring practices because they refused to hire, like, male ticketing attendants and male stewards for the plane. Hmm. So, how crucial to the business operation is the staff being hot? That's like the central question on the Supreme Court, which I don't know. So crucial. It's It's so (laughs) crucial. Oh, by the way, like I have a little picture for you of the Southwest Airlines. Oh. Like they're adorable. That is very Hooters. It's it's giving Hooters. Um, So what do you think will happen? Like what's your prediction on this little case? I imagine the- If you were a judge hearing this, what would you think? I would be like, you should start hiring men. Why? Because it, I mean, yeah, it's like there's there's nothing that you, that- 
is exclusive to being a flight attendant that you need to be like a hot woman to do. Mm -hmm. So you can't say that you need to be that to do that. Mm. <laughs> because Even on the love airline where like you're supposed to give out love cocktails and wear short little shorts. I guess if that's like their whole thing, then like you, but it's like, I don't know when it's also, because I feel like flying isn't necessarily an entertainment field. And okay. even though they're promoting it as such, like it, yeah. it isn't, and like it shouldn't necessarily be because people are using it for other reasons too. So mm -hmm. that would be my case as a judge. <laughs> <laughs> so you and the judge are actually pretty similar. You're aligned. You should hire me. <laughs> <laughs> this court case was part of deciding that, like, is customer satisfaction a qualifying factor in like a bona fide occupational qualification? For example, Playboy is allowed to hire all women bunnies because that's literally the role that they're supposed to play. Like they're selling sex mm -hmm. as a thing. But Southwest's horny customers are ultimately not legally potent enough to mandate the same for the airline. <laughs> so you and the judge are like one and the same. Hmm. Enjoy your new, you can like start your career at Southwest and then become a, a judge. Like I'm, I'm seeing the trajectory mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was like a fun story that like, it's like literally important in Supreme Court history. Like uh, Gary versus Southwest is like a, a precedent that we have. Nice. Um, I love all these airline vignettes that we're going through. It's kind of fun. Like history is like a bowling lane and it's fun to see like where the bumpers are put up or not put up mm. and why. Mm -hmm. I find that so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't believe I haven't ticked off a single other bingo thing yet. Now I'm getting oh, self-conscious. I was just too focused on the thing I haven't even thought. I don't think we have though. Oh, for real? I, mm. I'm like so self-conscious that I'm being so out of character this episode. <laughs> no, I think nothing Nothing else last night. Well, no, I think nothing else. God damn it. <laughs> You're not getting bingo today. <laughs> so, summing up so far, Southwest's entire history has been like the most Texas fucking thing imaginable. Evading government regulation, doing little stunts that fly in the face of established industry like having fifths of whiskey available, keeping flights as cheap as possible, etc. So, how are you doing so far? Good. It's like a summation of where we are. And we're not even past the fucking 70s yet. What time is it? Okay, we're like a nearly half hour in. Great. Okay. Okay. So... 1978 is when we get the passing of the Airline, Airplane Deregulation Act, which is like the thing that dis, that uncouples government overreach mm -hmm. in routes and fares. During Southwest's nascent era, and in part because of Southwest, several presidential administrations spend a lot of time doing this delinking. Beginning with Nixon through Ford and finally with Jimmy Carter, we get the 1978 Act. The primary function of this bill is to actually keep the regulatory bodies in place that deal with safety. So the Federal Aviation Commission still does air traffic control, training of pilots, safety of aircrafts, stuff like that. The main thing that is taken away is federal approval slash regulation of routes, fares, and labor. Mm -hmm. The main consequence is felt nearly immediately uh, as that prices drop, as does literally everything else. Quality of flights plummet, labor relations crumble, and it becomes nearly impossible to enter the game as a new airline. Mm. Most legacy airlines at the time, Brandif included, fucking collapse. And what we're left with is by this point, like by our time, United American Spoilers. Delta and Southwest controlling like 90% of flights in this country. It is a virtual monopoly. Mm. And it's crazy because it was built to actually be like that. Like starting in the 30s, they wanted only bigger companies dealing with airlines because you don't want a bunch of like piecemeal little guys in the game. Right. So you're following me on this journey. You're understanding like the po political history up until this point. Yeah. So wait, so do you know before this happened, when was Southwest, what, were they beholden to the like federal prices for interstate I don't flights? believe so. Okay. 
because it oh they were also banned from flying to Arkansas um, and a couple other states in the area because of these like federal regulations. There was like a whole act preventing Southwest from doing that, right. so they had to stay within Texas. Too sexy for those states. Too sexy <laughs> for Arkansas. I'll say that much. <laughs> <laughs> so. Airlines are um, slowly crumbling both wages and pensions for their workers. Um, so we'll talk about that later. Um, unrelated. Let's talk about like the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Let's just like breeze through these eras. Um, there's a Texas State Historical Association write-up by Kelly Flynn. I haven't quoted a single thing so far. Can you believe that? I know. That's uh, that's a thing on the bingo. So About how much <laughs> I like either shit on or respect uh, people I quote. Yeah. It's because this was so dense. Like, all of this is... I have a lot of sources that like I've cited and where I got this information. Oh, but you just made this all up. <laughs> I, source, I made it up. <laughs> but none of it was like quotable enough because it's just like literal things I have to explain before yeah. we get to where we are. So... Um, this is something that I could have explained on my own, but I didn't feel like it because at this point, like I was kind of running the clock. Mm-hmm. And so I just put this quote in here. So this is way too long and I did not need to have this whole quote. So okay. here you go. Kelly Flynn, thank you, from the Texas State Historical Association. Quote, in the late 1980s and early 1990s, Southwest lobbied against a proposed high-speed train between Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio. Studies show that the train would require government subsidies of close to $100 a passenger. Since all of Southwest's fares between those cities was well below $100, the company claimed that with the same subsidy, it could fly everyone in those markets for nothing. Although a contract to build a train was awarded to Texas TGV, the company, the Texas TGV, was unable to raise even a fraction of the startup funds it required and ultimately defaulted on the contract. As of 2020, Texas Central Railroad received authority from the Federal Railroad Administration to build a high-speed train connecting Houston to Dallas that would take 90 minutes and be operational by 2026. However, several obstacles remained as an actual construction date. As to an actual construction date, as of 2022, outcomes of any discussions to impact the airlines that service Houston to Dallas route remain undetermined. So, part of like this is just to reference that part of why airlines continue to have a chokehold on long distance travel is that they are directly lobbying against any sort of more reasonable travel on right. land. Um, Southwest is far from alone in lobbying against high speed rail efforts, mm-hmm. and. Because of the close linkages between the government and airlines, that's part of the reason why it's so fucking useless to get anything done. Do you understand? Yeah. This was a fact that was mind-blowing to me personally. Thank you, Kelly Flynn. <laughs> and then after that, this section, I have this all like in sections, little underlines. I wrote, Lois Griffin voice, 9-11. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you know that? Are you familiar with yeah, this yeah, Family yeah. Guy bit? Well, I'm going to explain it because... <laughs> I guess I know a lot more about Family Guy than I care to let on. <laughs> I didn't know how much Family Guy knew until I started writing trivia questions. And like I wrote a bunch about Family Guy and everyone was like, why are so many <laughs> questions about Family Guy? And I was like, I just thought this is all like knowledge we all had. Anyways, there's this one where Lois like runs for some municipal, I think she runs for mayor of Quahog. Um, and she's debating with Adam West and she keeps like saying like, I think we should improve the roads or the schools or whatever. And then she keeps getting like nothing from the crowd. And then the advice she gets to go on stage and she does this. She's like, 9-11 was bad. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone is like screaming, applauding. That was they love such it. a good Lois impression. Wait, I think we're going to, um, mm, Pina. <laughs> 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 and then she just like keeps being like, 9 <laughs> 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 It's so funny too hearing it in the headphones because it just sounds like it's coming from a different person. Like, it's not, <laughs> like Lois is in the room with us somewhere. I really, because I have a friend, Peter Bucci, obviously. So I just keep, I, I'm always like, Pina. <laughs> <laughs> Pina, get in the car. <laughs> so 
So uh, I showed you the rest of this in like a Lois Griffin voice. (laughs) In the wake of staunch deregulation. (laughs) I lost it. Fuck. In the wake of this staunch deregulation, pensions crumbling, what have you, 9-11 functionally exacerbates many. I feel like I have a different voice too. Because now I'm hearing myself in the headphones (laughs) and I'm like, I'm not me. I'm Lois and I'm putting on a voice now. Okay. 9-11 9-11 functionally exacerbates the issues that many workers were facing at airlines. Um, you know Sully, like Captain Sully, yep. Sullenberger, mm-hmm. what's his name? Tom um, Hanks. Chelsea. Tom Hanks! I literally did that script! <laughs> Tom Hanks! Um, he testifies before Congress in like 2009 as reported by the Associated Press. Quote, Sullenberger, a 58-year-old who joined the U.S. Airways as a... Oh, I'm sorry. Fuck. Hang on. Don't listen to me. Okay. <laughs> Sullenberger, a 58-year-old who joined a U.S. Airways predecessor in 1980, told the House Aviation Subcommittee that his pay has been cut 40% in recent years and his pension has been terminated and replaced with a promise, quote, worth pennies on the dollar from the federally created, like, fund. These that, cut- that was pre-miracle? No, it was post-Miracle, because otherwise it wouldn't matter. Like, nobody would give a shit if he was testifying. Mm. But because Miracle meaning, like, the Hudson miracle River the thing. Hudson, yeah. Oh, also, can you explain that, like, for those who maybe don't know who Sullenberger is? Yeah, he was a pilot who, so I think, like, a bird flew into the engine, mm-hmm. and he was able to land it in the Hudson River, like, miraculously. Like, they thought it would not land safely, and he, like, did it safely, but then he was maybe drunk. What? <laughs> That's like what that whole movie Sully is about with Tom Hanks. It's yeah. like it's like the whole thing is like they had to investigate like so was he like not in his right <gasps> mind when he was doing it and like should we punish him or like like he saved lots of lives but like, you know that's, that's bad. <laughs> he was Did drunk, he run maybe. into the bird because he was drunk? Or I don't like... think so. There is, there's one part of the movie that I think about all the time, and it's like such a specific reference that nobody else, I can't ever make it, but <laughs> they're like in the court hearing oh, when they're like talking about the miracle, they like do like uh, they do these like like test runs to like see if anybody else could like replicate what he did in like a simulation flight, uh-huh. and they do it like six times, and every time the pilot in the in the uh, simulation one when the bird comes, he just says birds. <laughs> <laughs> And it happens like four or five times. You're just like, birds. And then, <laughs> and the plane is like... <laughs> and that's just the, the way he says it. Birds just lives in my head. I feel like <laughs> someone else time. is in the room. <laughs> <laughs> was it a good movie? It, it was okay. It was fine. It was like, it was a little Oscar baity, I feel like. But it was like, you know, Tom Hanks doesn't do that bad usually. No, well, I mean, I can't imagine he does bad in most films that he's yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. He's white. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a good? I've never seen the movie Elvis. Me I've only seen <laughs> that. Cl- I've <laughs> only seen the clip of Tom Hanks being like, "He's white." <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, that's why people care when Sullenberger testifies before Congress because it's like the only famous pilot like ever. I cannot think of other famous pilot or real right. I can think of the guy uh, from Catch Me If You Can, but he also he was a fake pilot. So Aaron Tveit. <laughs> that's who I think of. No, who's the, that? The Broadway actor who played. Oh. <laughs> Well, I also learned that Hope thing was also apparently fake. The, I've like never... His, his scam was he didn't do it. What? Because his whole thing, the guy from Catch Me If You Can. I've never seen Catch Me If You Can. Okay. Well, like, we it's like a, into it. Well, no, we could get into it. Like, a, a guy <laughs> pretends to be a pilot, right? He pretends to be a lot of things, but yeah, mostly a pilot for a lot of it. And this is based and on a true story? It's a book that he wrote about it, and like his whole thing is like, oh, like I was like the world's best scam artist, and I got caught, and now I like, work for the FBI, like helping them huh. like find scams. 
And there's a lot of, I read the book like a couple years ago, very weird book for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I read an article recently that like someone looked it up and like tried to find like instances <laughs> of like him doing the impersonating of a pilot thing. And it was like, none of it, it didn't happen. <laughs> it, it wasn't true. The, the book itself was a scam. Whoa. That's kind of fucking awesome. Yeah. I hope to be like that someday. <laughs> Anyways, that is why people care that um, Chelsea Sullenberger was testifying before Congress. Otherwise, like this would not have been newsworthy. Mm-hmm. So his pay, like he said, has been cut 40% in recent years. This uh, AP um, continues. These cuts follow a wave of airline bankruptcies after 9-11 terrorist attacks compounded by the current recession, he said. Quote, the bankruptcies were used by some as a fishing expedition to get what they could not get in normal times, Solenberger said of the airlines. He said the problems began with the deregulation of the industry in the 1970s. The reduced compensation had placed, quote, pilots and their families in an untenable financial situation. I do not know a single professional airline pilot who wants his or her children to follow in their footsteps. Hmm. Kind of a slady is his or her and then there. In the same sentence. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that until I said it just now, but kind of awesome. So, are you understanding that the Airline Deregulation Act like destabilizes labor relations mm-hmm. in the airline industry, which is famously bad? Yeah. That's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about a different thing. We'll circle back to Southwest. Okay. The uh, software that they use to do scheduling and for like staff and planes going places is SkySolver. It is trademarked in 2004. I'm unaware of when the company started using it. I don't know if it was before or after. Mm-hmm. But it's a General Electric product. I don't, I don't know if you know what General Electric is. I've heard of them. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, again, I'm not sure when they adopt the software, but to this day, it is their main crew scheduling, flight scheduling, etc. software. Many airlines in the early 2000s switched to keeping track of baggage electronically when the tech became available. Southwest did not do so until 2017. Whoa. So they were like by hand printing and second, sending luggage around with like the specs to be read like with your eyeballs. Analog shit is crazy pants. Hmm. Anyways, SkySolver is constantly updating its software as softwares tend to do. Mm-hmm. But Southwest uses it on a very company specific basis. That is another company could not like download the software from Southwest and optimize it for its own crews because it's too specific for Southwest. This is not uncommon, but it makes updating the software particularly annoying, costly, lengthy, etc. I have like a similar experience. Um, so I used to work at this nonprofit and I fucking hated it. Mm-hmm. And my job was to schedule private lessons, like music lessons. Mm-hmm. Most places that are music schools have it so like all like the general classes, like group classes or whatever, start let's say January first and they end like June first, and mm-hmm. then you can re like re sign up for the next semester. So that's also how most places do private lessons. They're like, private lessons and group classes start January 1st. You can take it through June 1st. Mm-hmm. For some unfucking believable asinine reason, <laughs> this place decided to do private lessons on a rolling basis. Mm-hmm. So you could sign up for private lessons at any point. But like, your package changed based on how long into the semester it was. So like, group classes started January 1st. Mm-hmm. Let's say you started your private lessons like April 1st. Then it still only lasts until June 1st. Right. Which is dumb yeah and we had optimized like version three of this crm to accommodate for that stupid thing and they were constantly telling me to like toggle back and forth between version three and version four because version four could not accommodate rolling lesson plans Hmm. 
which is dumb. It is dumb. And I only worked there for three months and I said, hey, guys, you shouldn't do that anymore. Like, if you can't use this software, you should update your private lessons because most other places do private lessons like that. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, that's a really good point. And then I like everyone there was a fucking loser. So I left. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they actually do it like that now, which I was not paid enough to have ideas like that. you. <laughs> They did. They did. Um, yeah, I was not paid enough to have ideas like that. Like my my job was just to plug and chug like people who wanted private lessons and right. then like match them up with teachers. It was so dumb. I I'm like getting angry about it. I'm like, why did you people keep doing this despite the fact that it was so inefficient? Like I told them, I'm wasting all my time like configuring private lessons to be like 12 weeks, then 11 weeks, then mm-hmm. nine weeks, and it's like. It makes me so mad. (laughs) Operational efficiencies really grind my gears, I think. (laughs) Another Family Guy reference? Oh, yeah, it really grinds my gears. Oh, wait, that's not a little... I was trying to do Peter. I'm like, grinds my gears. (laughs) Yeah, you got there. I guess I really should be a voice actor, I think. I think I'm pretty good at it. (laughs) So anyways, SkySolver Southwest, very similar thing. Like they've optimized version three of their software when like there's an update and then another update and then Mm. another update. Southwest, as of Thanksgiving 2022, was at least eight releases behind on SkySolver. Damn. (laughs) So this is a deeply familiar problem to me personally. (laughs) All of this brings us to 2022. Southwest Airlines Pilots Association spent the first part of 2022 not even bargaining for higher wages or better hours or whatever, but better technology, which is pretty fucking devastating. Mm. Union leaders since like at least 2020, probably before that, have been saying the technology is one IT fail away from disaster. And there was like a disaster in 2021. It was like October 2021 that like shit went wrong. Mm. But even pre-2022 Southwest, (laughs) they were scheduling time travel flights. Meaning connecting flights were scheduled to leave before the arriving flights even landed. So like if you were a passenger, you literally could not make your connecting flight because it had already left by the time you arrived. This should be a theoretical impossibility. Mm -hmm. You know, have you seen this tweet? There's this tweet recently (laughs) where um, there are a bunch of restaurants now where you can like pay entirely online. Like you don't have to give the server your card anymore. You can do it on your phone. Like toast. Like toast. Mm And this guy put in like a negative $30 tip for his yeah, $30 I saw bill that. I saw that. and then had to pay $0 for his thing. That's like a software engineer's fault because you should make it like literally impossible to toggle the negative button on the tip. Yeah. Much in the same way, like software analysts were like, how the fuck can Southwest even schedule that? That should literally be impossible. Like it should be literally impossible to automatically book a flight that leaves before you get there. Right. Um, this, I think it was fixed in like 2021, but... The tension is still boiling. The union, again, not even bargaining for wages at this point, bargaining for the literal safety of airlines. Damn. Their pensions are garbage. They're they're still on this point-to-point system, which, as we said before, like, the pro of having a heaven-spoke system is that if your pilot, for some reason, can't do his job, there's other pilot. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. their job, not his. That was sexist of me. <laughs> can't do their job. There's other pilots in the area who can Unlike the point-to-point system, where if you're going to like a smaller city, there's maybe not as many pilots there. So, this leads to the winter storm of 2022 that causes a national disaster. And mm-hmm. boy, was it a disaster. Help me paint a word picture here. Like, it's Christmas. Mm-hmm. There's a winter storm. Every airline is down for a few days. But people in Southwest were like literally trapped at airports. Did you like watch anything about this? Yeah. I, well, so th- that's why I texted you. I wasn't on Southwest, but we were like, I think, affected by it because we were on Frontier and our mm. flight was also canceled for a full day. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, people were just like, yeah, just yeah, living in the airports, like trying desperately to get on any flight they could home. Their flights were being delayed like multiple days. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, people and, were panicking. <laughs> it was, yeah, because they were sleeping on like the floors of airports. Yeah. I read an article about a jazz pianist who couldn't make his New Year's Eve gig. Oh. A mother separated from her two teenage children oh. out of state. And because the scheduling system was so outdated, that's why the problem became frustrating to witness. Because people would look out and see Southwest planes and be like, can we just get on that plane? Yeah. No? Why? Planes were sitting on the runway, but because they were not properly scheduled, the jet fuel would literally congeal in the engines because it was so cold, rendering the plane unusable to fly. Whoa. A pilot... There are, there's something called deadheading in the airline industry. Mm-hmm. Can you explain the concept to me? Or would you like me to explain the concept? No, I've heard it before, but not enough to explain it. So Great. you explain it. <laughs> so let's say you're a pilot who is scheduled to fly a flight out of Chicago, but your last flight has taken you to New York. You would then like sit on a plane as a passenger from New York to Chicago to then complete your flight. Mm-hmm. So the scheduling software op- like ideally will optimize deadhead flights for pilots. But at the time, it was going haywire. And so there's one pilot in particular who was like meant to fly out of Baltimore, but they put him on a Baltimore to New Haven flight and then back to Baltimore to just like deadhead both mm-hmm. ways for no reason Hmm. um and so like other pilots not even him specifically were just like deadheaded to nowhere and then just were like fuck do i do now like i I am not scheduled to fly here and i can't do it yeah also there's a regulatory amount of hours that one can work before you're mandated to take a break yeah which also when the software schedule goes haywire you cannot optimize that and so people are like i literally can't work because it's illegal for me to do so even if i'm not tired even if i drink a red bull i cannot get on this plane or else i will get my like pilot license taken away so um this is the remarkably major failure of having the point-to-point system. It creates a daisy chain of problems where if one thing goes wrong, then everything else goes wrong. This is not to mention that, unluckily, Southwest has a lot of flights between Chicago and Denver, which are the major points of the winter storm. Mm-hmm. So everybody was saying shit like, oh, it's the flu, oh, it's COVID causing staffing shortages. But what becomes clear is that they had enough people hired to cover the shortage. At least they claim. Like, they say we had... As of Thanksgiving 2022, they're like, we have covered the staff problem that has been created by the pandemic. Like, we have enough people to do this, which they should not have been saying because that makes it look even worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the problem is that people wind up getting sent to the wrong spot, work too many hours, meaning you cannot literally schedule them. It's a scheduling crisis, not an actual, like, plane or staffing shortage crisis. Yeah. Is this making sense? Yeah. Well, it was frustrating, too. I don't know if Southwest did this, but what happened to us is that they... We were on Frontier and they told us that we couldn't fly because of like, they were like, no flights are going out because of the winter storm. But it was like past the point where the winter storm had already happened. Yeah. But they were like, we don't have to refund you if it's like a weather problem. If it's like a staffing problem, you get a refund or whatever. But if it's a weather problem, then like that's out of our control. It's in God's hands. Mm-hmm. Like you don't get a refund. So like I think they were, a lot of them were, yeah, blaming it on the weather. Yep. To just avoid giving out thousands of dollars of refunds. Yes. it's uh, Honestly, it's millions of dollars yeah. of refunds at that point. Which I'm so excited they brought that up because this next part is called the Pete Buttigieg of it all. (laughs) (laughs) The main question that arises online, or at least for me, is why is this legal? How can there be so few alternative options for passengers looking to travel by air? Um, And the answer obviously is baked into this entire podcast, right? The airline industry uh, being deregulated in 1978 was hilarious because it literally created a monopoly. Like it's created to be a monopoly. Mm Mm-hmm. By design, like starting from the 30s up until this point, it's only you are supposed to have very few options to travel by air. Um, 
Additionally, Pete Buttigieg is, number one, seemingly not very good at his job, um, but also he's very much declawed by the Airline Deregulation Act of 1978. It gives him very little federal power to actually enforce any meaningful consequences on these companies because it's like they are untied now. It's, it's in God's hands. <laughs> Famously God's hands. His beautiful, sexy hands. Where they should have been the whole time. They should have been the whole time. You know what? Pete Buttigieg is actually just honoring the Lord <laughs> by saying, I can't do anything about it. That's up to God. So people are advocating for him to pass any sort of legislation that gives states the ability to hold airlines accountable, but progress is yet to be seen. 37 attorneys general write to Buttigieg in 2022 in this literal bipartisan effort. When does this happen anymore? A bipartisan effort to help get literally any consumer protections vis-a-vis air travel. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's, it's kind of a bummer to read because it shows how weak the DOT is, the Department of Travel. Um, tr- Department of Transportation, sorry. Currently is in terms of regulating the industry. I'll read just some, some quotes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Number one. USDOT should also implement further measures to reduce the rate of flight cancellations and to provide meaningful compensation to consumers whose flights have been canceled or significantly delayed. To improve consumers' actual experiences, USDOT should consider the following points as it approaches like future rulemakings. One, the NPRM, which I fucking did not write down what that stands for, and I feel bad that I didn't. Provides refunds when there is a significant change in flight itinerary, including when a delay exceeds three hours. That's like a recommendation. Mm -hmm. USDOT should require airlines to advertise and sell only flights that they have adequate personnel to fly and support. Mm -hmm. USDOT should prohibit airlines from canceling flights while upselling customers more expensive alternatives to the same destinations. Mm-hmm. USDOT should require that credits and vouchers for future travel that are provided by airlines in the events of cancellations can be used easily without inappropriate limits. USDOT should consider requiring airlines to provide additional compensation to consumers who, as a result of delays or cancellations, are forced to assume additional costs because of meals, hotel stays, flights on airlines, mm-hmm. etc. Um, consumers regularly are forced to bear such expenses, a problem that's been brought to the de- DOT's attention, but the NPRM provides no relief for any of these costs. These are things that for any other company or product should be expected. They should be mandatory and it would be ripe for regulation if this wasn't the specific industry that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, for any other industry, such remarkable failures, including like misleading advertising of like selling a flight that you know for a fucking fact you cannot staff. Poor quality service, it would be ripe for overhaul. But because of the history laid out, we're in a place where that's virtually impossible. Yeah. How are you feeling? Yeah. I also like, I feel like I've been on so many flights where they're they're like, we overbooked it. <laughs> Sorry. Some some of you have to stay behind or like leave your luggage or whatever. Like that yeah. happens so often. Yeah. And... It is on it, the impetus is on or the onus. I'm sorry, is on the person taking the flight to understand that it is a legal requirement for them to refund you, and then you then have to ask for the refund. Yeah. Because if you don't ask, they don't really have to provide it. Yeah. And so, it's oh god, there's that like lawyer on TikTok who's like, I study the fine print, so you don't have to. Yeah. And usually her videos are, are pretty annoying, but I I like the ones where <laughs> it's like if a flight is overbooked, you can ask for this specific rate, and I don't have the rate handy, but. <laughs> That is because of decades of advocacy on consumer protection rights activists, shall yeah. we say, where, um, yeah, like maybe this thing that has become a public utility should not be in the hands of four companies, which also, I said I was going to talk about this and then I never did. Um, airlines are not making that much of a profit based on how much they spend on like staffing, equipment, whatever, mm. whatever, whatever. It's a very bad industry in terms of profit margins. Like, Interesting. I know. So they should just regulate it then. 
you would think. And the main reason why it is advocated against to regulate airlines is like when it was the period between 1938 and 1978. Flights were super, super expensive. They were much higher quality. They ran on time. They did everything else. But they were like way more expensive than they are now. Mm-hmm. And I feel, my feelings personally, are that if we did have it regulated, it would be very expensive to fly because it should be like a rarity to fly. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm kind of an advocate for the high-speed rail. I can't. I love the train. You can drink a little wine on the train. Somebody's mm-hmm. driving you. It's not like as difficult and onerous as going through the TSA, which, by the way, was established in 2001. I know this is maybe a fact that everybody knows, but like... I didn't know. I thought it existed before, just not as intensely. No, it was invented in 2001. Wow. Can you guess why? <laughs> Nine. 9 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> like we did not have a TSA before 2001 there was like a different administration that was sort of dissolved well before 2001 that then they like reinvented as the TSA wow it makes yeah. me so sad whenever I watch a movie where someone like says goodbye to someone else <laughs> on the like the tarmac or like in the gate area I'm like, yeah those are the days those are the days <laughs> now you can like drop them off at arrivals and some like Omec asshole in a vest and a whistle is gonna get you out of there before you can even say I love you yeah they have like the kiss and fly sections. No more. Mm. That is a lie that they have near the O'Hare International Airport. Is that a real area they have? A, the kiss and fly? Where you go and you so you can say goodbye? So I never, um, here's the thing. Whenever I drive anyone to O'Hare, which I do a lot. I try to use my car for good, not evil. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I always miss. Like I just never fucking get off the right exit. I, you just have to get in the right lane so early and I'm always in the left lane because I drive very fast. Mm-hmm. And so I always miss. And then on the turnaround on Mannheim Road, there's like this thing that says kiss and fly. So I think it's supposed to be like, mwah, kiss, love you, goodbye. Like, and that's just like what arrival, or I'm sorry, departures is, mm-hmm. I think. Oh. I don't know if it's an actual area. I mean, it's like Makeout Creek at O'Hare. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I love the train. I took an Amtrak to Milwaukee recently. I had a little wine. I like sat back and let them drive me an hour and a half. Mm. And it was really fun. Yeah, like, I don't take the train nearly as much as I wish I did. It's just like, if, yeah, if they were faster, if they like could get me places as fast as planes did, I would obviously always pick that over a plane. That sounds way more fun. I would, like, I honestly would rather take the couple hours as an L because I take those hours usually preparing to get on a flight, like mm-hmm. going through security, doing this, getting, doing that. Like, it is just more like, I wish trains like ran on time. That's kind of my thing. Yeah. Like I don't care that it takes an extra couple hours, but usually it's like an unintended extra couple hours on a, in addition to the extra couple hours. Mm-hmm. I was on an Amtrak once that um, hit a truck. Oh. I know. It was terrible. I was on there until like four in the morning. It was awful. Whoa. I know. That's crazy. Isn't that not that? I should do an episode about that. Oh. But honestly, <laughs> that, that was one day. That wasn't Amtrak's fault. That was like an asshole like drove into the Amtrak. Or That's like drove the, on the... The episode's about the truck. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> So that is actually all the things I had in my notes. Do you understand airlines a little more now? Yeah. You really do? I think so, yeah. I think I I, I, I didn't know that there was such a long period where they just like weren't regulated at, at all, or that they, that they were regulated, and now there's like totally like, like who knows what, and they, can, they can do whatever they want, basically. Back to the Wildcat era, but having history, like decades of history, building them up to such a place where there is no competition. Right. So it's just yeah. this weird mix that we have of like, it is both and also neither. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why it took me so long because there was like a bunch of things I did not even know the name of, mm-hmm. let alone the consequences of the thing. Um, so this is like a really crazy episode. Can I please hear what's on the bingo card? I'm dying oh, to yeah, know because probably. apparently I did a fucking terrible <laughs> job this episode. I did nothing I usually do. Okay. One of them was never going to happen because it was, 
the fact it being a KP or Amy or Blewett episode. Right. That was okay. on there. Fair. There was. Oh, actually, this one you did do. So how are we feeling so far? Okay. You got that. Uh, slay. You didn't say once. I don't think. Oh wow! No, I said slay once. Did you? I definitely All right, did. I missed it. I'll check that off. Uh, a mention of brunch. Oh, didn't damn. happen. That's on me. Uh, well, yeah. A reference to succession. <laughs> <laughs> That's so crazy. A reference to your newfound heterosexuality. <laughs> okay. Uh, protagonist of the episode is hot. Ooh, yeah. No, no hotties. I have a petty bitch, but no hotties. Mm. Well. I guess the, the flight attendants. Yeah, but they're not the protagonists. Yeah. I'll say. I'll check it off. Why not? That's bingo, actually. Really? Yeah. Um, that is so nice. I finished this last night. I finished this today. Okay. <laughs> um, this one's for the girls. Oh, yeah. This episode was not for the girls. This is for everybody. Hmm. Nut, nut. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I did not say nut, nut. And I read legal documents for this. I did! Um, the, 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 the attorneys general getting together with those recommendations. That was a, as part of like a... Oh, wait. Was that a, actually... Oh, well, I just crossed it off, so now it's true. Well, I did. It was a complaint. Oh, I read a different thing. This was um, shareholders sued Southwest, which I did read for this. Okay. So then, yeah. So our, our, the bingo is from How Are We Feeling So Far, Christian Tells a Drinking Story, <laughs> The Protagonist is Hot, mm -hmm. and Christian is Hungover. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> bingo. <laughs> I did. I just like wasn't. I'm trying to be more normal and less like heady about the things that I read and being like, I read a court document. <laughs> Because it's like, well, now it's part for the course of the podcast, so I can't, I can't make as much of a to do about it. But this was a very lengthy episode that was very, very dense. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate your. Um, you explained it really well. Really, I was, I was along for the ride. Yeah. You like? Okay, that is honestly good to hear because I'm so afraid that it's like an hour of me yelling at somebody. No, no. Yeah. It was fun because I, I liked, like I said, I, like the vignettes were fun. We kind of like, like the hub, th the hub system was great. We like went out, came back in. It all gave context to the. The finale. Oh. I loved it. I had a great time. Oh. So right now, Southwest stock, like, it took a huge hit. I think it's, like, up 1% as of, like, today. Mm. I congrats. Know. I, congrats to them. And it is crazy that they, um, like, became one of the four major air carriers by being just like, fuck you guys. We're selling peanuts. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, not selling peanuts. They had free peanuts, and then they had to get rid of the free peanuts. But there's a book about Southwest called Nuts, the crazy, like, success story of Southwest. Nut nuts. N oh, <laughs> you, you know what? We'll, we'll do them all at the end. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I call Busted Business Bureau. Yay. Yay. How are you feeling? I feel good. Yeah? I have to pee. Oh, okay. But I can wait a little bit for finishing things up. All right. Like, okay. um, in conclusion, you can donate to my podcast on patreon.com slash bustedbizbureau. Um, also, if you're still listening at this point, can you please leave a review or something? It really helps like the algorithm. Mm. I don't care what you say in it. You don't have to say anything nice. You can literally write like your grocery list. But like uh, those things like help other people see the podcast. Um, even if you're a hater and you fucking hated it, still leave a review. Mm. Um can you leave, like, is there, like, a period between, because I left a review when the podcast first started. Right. But, like, is there a period where, like, I can, because things change on podcasts, you know? I should be able to leave another review at some point, right? I know. I left a review for myself, and you can't leave another one, actually. Damn. You can, like, rate it on different apps, like yeah. on Spotify or Apple I think I did Podcasts. Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You're just a really true friend. You're, like, such a good friend. I don't friend. know. What else is it on? I don't even know. There's Well, it's on, like, Stitcher. It's on, like, um, Pocket Casts. It's on, I think it's on Amazon, too, oh. somehow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Somehow you don't do it. Well, it's on Castos, and then Castos oh, and they just put is, it on everything. It's like the hub and spoke. Castos okay. puts it on like everything else. Um, so I don't like click individually like this one, this one, this one. Okay. Um, 
but yeah, Christine made sure that it was on like a bunch of <laughs> really good ones. So that's a Christine thing. Thanks, Christine. Thanks, Christine. Um, yeah, so that's that's the Busted Business Bureau on Southwest Airlines. Oh yeah. It's so the okay. I guess I have more things to say. The business is not necessarily busted um, for the usual reasons that businesses are busted on Busted Business Bureau. Mm. It's like the. The industry is so strange and unique and fucked up for its own individual reasons that it's made this thing that, like, it's made this question of is air travel a public utility impossible to answer. Mm. And I have a feeling that as technology evolves even more, this question is going to take many, like, answer is going to take many different shapes over time. Do you think we'll ever have, like, mass teleportation? Well, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Never ever? Never ever. No. We are dying out as a species before <laughs> that happens. I'll tell you that much. That's and fair. I don't even I'm not even a nihilist, but yeah. that's what I think. I have dreams about that sometimes. About like going to an airport but like you just step into a thing and it's like sending you to Boston and then you like and then you're there. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there'd be like errors in the technology. Like you show up naked or you've shown up to like a suburb of Boston. Or... You have to be in the airport naked. That's part of the travel. <laughs> Honestly, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I, I hope for that future, but I don't see it. Hmm. I honestly don't even see airlines getting to a point where it's more efficient than it is now. Like, really? I could see high speed rails taking, like, I, like, because it's an abomination against God, I don't see it getting to a point where it's more efficient, airplanes. Mm. Like, it's environmentally bad. It's like uh, impossible to staff, impossible to get people who are like qualified enough. Because you have to go through years and years of pilot school. Right. Whereas to drive a train, you do not have to go through nearly as much school. Like, I it's remember just easier. Early pandemic or mid pandemic, there was like, I saw a lot of ads for like, they're like, we need pilots. Like, <laughs> we will like pay for you to like go to pilot school. Yeah. And like, yeah. That has like, since dried up. I have like a friend of a friend in pilot school, and it he's in like a massive amount of debt. Oh, damn. <laughs> doing so, I think it's um Peter Bucci's friend. <laughs> I'm like pretty sure it is. Okay. Um, it is. It totally is. I remember this conversation. So, here we are. It's a business I knew nothing about, an industry I knew nothing about, yeah. and now I know more about it. Um, it's pretty freaking crazy how politics, history, army children dying have resulted. I can't in. believe we started with that. That's right. crazy. It was Starting so long ago. Started off with a bang. Oh, there was also a plane collision in 1956 over the Grand Canyon where, like, over 100 people died. Yeah. Are the planes still in the Grand Canyon? Oh, I don't know. One like of them the was a Lockheed situation. plane. Oh. I know. <laughs> Crossover episode. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Ugh, that was dark. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, we've ended this podcast, like, eight times. <laughs> Anything you want to plug before we go? Um... I guess my Twitter, I didn't change, we were talking about changing my handle beforehand, but I didn't do it, but it's Joppin' Flopper right now. <laughs> I made it in high school. I kind of like it, it's adorable. Yeah, if anybody, uh, if, I, if, you, if you follow me, tweet at me with a suggestion for a new handle, and Great. I will maybe change it to that. Okay, fantastic. Um, you can also follow Busted Biz Bureau on all the social medias. I'm going to post a TikTok today. Yeah. Or tomorrow. But it'll have already come out by the time the episode comes out. So Listen to Suck Off, too. Oh, yeah, shit. I have a different podcast called <laughs> Suck Off with um, Karsten Runquist from episode four, season one of this podcast. And we talk about succession. So I guess I've talked about succession enough. Yeah. I have to go record that literally after this. Like, that's where I'm going now. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, see you all later. Bye-bye. Catch you on the flip side. Oh, that's the my theme song. <laughs> I didn't even get it. <laughs> I don't know. Was I singing it fast? I listen to it on 1.2 speed all the time. So I don't know. Ever the, the theme song always sounds fast to me. And then I hear it normal sometimes. I'm like, why is it you so slow? You listen to my podcast on 1.2 speed? Yeah. I don't have an hour <laughs> every day. To... You can understand me at 1.2 speed. Yeah. That is crazy. I take Adderall beforehand. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, bye. And get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> bye.